restless spirits, ghosts, and we talk about all kinds of things on our little podcast, and we, we always want to try to bring it back home from time to time. Uh, our last few episodes, we've definitely traveled abroad a little bit, <laughs> so we thought we'd bring it back home and talk about some Missouri ghost stories this time around. Missouri ghost stories. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So, when we decided to talk about Missouri ghost stories, there's there's a lot of material out there, and there's a lot of anecdotal little stories. A lot of little seeds, you might so say. So, I decided I would tackle Springfield, Missouri a little bit, since it's pretty close to home. Uh, we've talked about Lebanon in the past, so I kind of didn't want to go there. Right. So, one of the first ones I was going to talk about was Phelps Grove Park. And Phelps Grove Park is home to a wandering spirit. Uh, she's supposed to be fairly new to the park, to be honest. The park has been around for a while, but she was supposedly killed in a an automobile accident. And it was on the day of her wedding, as her and her groom were driving through the park. Uh, they lost control of the car, and they crashed, and they were both killed in the wreck. Wow. Uh, now they refer to her as the Bride Under the Bridge, which is an... I've actually heard that, yes. She's often seen near the third bridge in the park at night. Usually she'll uh, be holding the hem of her gown as a lady would as she walks. Uh, but where her face would be, there is only darkness. I'm going to be honest. You know, I tried to dig around into the history of some of these stories, and I didn't find a lot. So so no, like, actual newspaper yeah. article or anything of where a crash occurred? So honestly, on, on this one, you know, that that's pretty much about all I've got. Hmm. Drury University. Oh, yes. Got a little bit of history here. It was first opened September 25th, 1873. And, you know, old colleges, old buildings like that, they're often reported to have hauntings. Of course, if you're going to have a haunted building, Drury reportedly was built on Indian burial grounds. Oh, I've heard that story around here a lot. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It seems, I I think I used this joke once before, but with as much haunting and bad luck as the United States has, I think the whole place was built on Indian burial grounds. Absolutely. Uh, Later, it was also, you know, Civil War. There was Civil War action in the area. So, of course, there's a lot of residual energy that could be there in 1966 smith hall uh, the woman's dorm was built in an area that used to be home to several old victorian houses they're going to demolish those houses to make way for the the hall it is a like i said a woman's dorm one of those homes had a a little girl who had uh, burned to death trying to retrieve her personal little teddy bear from the house as it burned well that's tragic yeah a lot of the students claim that she still haunts the hall to this very day. She's a, actually kind of an interesting little spirit. Many have witnessed her, dressed in pink, wandering the halls. Some have reportedly even taken pictures of her, which, to be honest, I was unable to find. The students will, you know, come back from being out and find their locked dorm room door open and unlocked. She'll pull drawers out of dressers. Kind of a little prankster here. Uh, Occasionally, people will find teddy bears sitting in the middle of the room. Now that one, 
I could see college kids. I got to admit, yeah, I don't think that. she's manifesting these teddy bears out of nowhere. But I thought, you know, they could be kids playing jokes on each other. Absolutely, I could totally see that. But other kids who uh, report having personal teddy bears that they bring with them say that they will move in the night and they will find them in completely different locations than they were the night before. That's a bit creepy. And then, sort of unrelated, one student also told of an unplugged phone that would ring in the night. So, I don't know if that's uh, she's responsible for that or not. Hmm. Then there's also Clara Thompson Hall on Drury University, where students claim that pianos will play themselves and doors will open and close of their own accord. Now, you mentioned Springfield. Uh, are you going to touch on Pythian Castle? Uh, I, I don't have it here. Uh, if you have some stuff on that. Um, well, uh, it's been probably four, if not five, more years ago uh, from my birthday. Sarah, my wife, bought us tickets to go investigate Pythian Castle. For those of you who may not be familiar with Pythian Castle, it was built as an orphanage. Um, later, it was owned by the U.S. military. Paranormal Task Force and Ozarks Paranormal Society. Yeah, they don't. They have a, a documentary. They have made documentaries. I don't remember the name of it. They have actually put their brand of certification that this is truly a haunted castle uh, with Pythian Castle. It's still open today, uh, obviously, for visitors, for tours. 40,000 square foot castle, uh, multiple levels, multiple floors, including uh, what some people call a dungeon, but that was used during uh, World War II to hold uh, some prisoners of war. Um, There is a full-blown theater uh, like where Charlie Chaplin has performed and stuff, theater seats and everything there. Uh, but that place uh, on our birth, on my birthday, we got the first, and you may have heard me mention it before, the uh, headless apparition of the Victorian lady that was in that theater yeah, back room. Uh, some very, very strange light anomalies when we were taking pictures, especially down in the uh, the lower floors in the basement that would look like, blue lightning that would travel across the room when you would take the picture uh, might show up in one picture out of 20 is really random really weird couldn't really ever explain that yeah definitely some some hauntings and things that go bump in the night well, there in the, in the paranormal task force uh, documentary if i remember correctly they talk about um a violent shadow entity that's uh down below yes uh kind of possibly a caretaker or a, uh you know, worked on the on the on the place uh, growing up. A dark entity as a male, uh, usually found down in one of the tunnels of the basement. Yeah, something it about beats, pipes, beats on the on, pipes. Yeah, I remember stuff. that. And uh, one of the uh, TV documentaries, they actually had a camera shooting down that way, and EVPs and, and everything was going off, and and you could see this black shadow of a man. And he just kept coming closer and closer, and then just kind of vanished in thin air. Yeah, and then there's a. There's like an attic room with a with a child spirit, if I remember correctly. I think that was uh, one of the head honchos, if you will's office. There is a very long stairway, and I think it travels like straight up like two floors and leads up to a room that faces out the very front off the front porch. And uh, yeah, in the TV documentary, Children of the Grave, I believe was yeah, the, I think that was the, the name of it. Uh, the Booth Brothers produced that. They had uh, some cameras and stuff up there, and they actually got like child's fingerprints that appeared on the window uh, while they were recording. Uh, some sensors had went off that there was motion and movement up there when no one was up there and the door was actually locked. I had entertained the idea of taking my son there. He he wants to do a real-life ghost hunt, which is something, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to do. 
it's not as easy as it sounds when you're an amateur. Yes. You know, yeah. Money is an issue. <laughs> well, you can go to the Pythian Castle. Uh, one of the issues I will say, and, and I don't mean to, to derail it at all, but you want a smaller group. Don't yeah. go with 50 people because they'll turn like 10 people loose on five floors and it's so contaminated with recordings and stuff, you really don't, you don't, don't know, get the best of the experience. You don't know what you're getting. Yeah, but go for a smaller group. We got one more we're going to talk about for the Springfield area, and I'm going to talk about the Landers Theater. Oh, yes. Now, theaters have a long history of being haunted. There's a lot of uh, shadowy actors on the stage or shadowy figures in the in the crowd. A little bit of history here. It was built in 1909, and the Landers Theater in its lifetime had hosted such artists as Lillian Russell, John Philip Sousa, Lon Chaney, Ooh. and Fanny Bryce, which I got to admit, I hadn't heard of a couple of them, but they were in the list of celebrities. It was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1977 and is said to be home to a few spirits. On December 17th, or 1920, there was a major fire there, and it took the life, unfortunately, of a janitor who was working there. Uh, and the theater itself had to remain closed for quite some time for renovation and repair. According to some, the old janitor is still often seen in the balcony by actors on stage. They'll see him up there, you know, walking around, still still doing his job, I still guess. Still doing his thing. Uh, there's another spirit that's never seen from inside the theater, but often seen from outside. She's described as a tall woman with long blonde hair, dressed in Elizabethan-era clothing. Uh, and she will peek through the fir- a fourth floor window at passersby on the street below. Creepy. Uh, she's never been seen from inside the theater, however. Huh. Now, other occurrences in the theater involved unplugged lights that are turned on and off on their own. Uh, people often feel as if they're being followed. Uh, people might occasionally feel a tap on their shoulder, which I was, I kind of chalk that up to the old usher, you know, tap on the shoulder. Hey, mister. <laughs> Uh, and, and oftentimes there are apparitions glimpsed throughout the building. I did find one eyewitness account of, of a person who had seen two different, I'm going to say entities, for lack of a better okay. phrase. Okay. One was referred to as the green orb, which appeared exactly as described, but about five feet tall and very bright in color. Hmm. That's a big orb, five feet tall. Yeah. The other day they described as the black void. And the person said they felt uneasy as they were making their way through the theater, stopped to look around, see if maybe they could figure out why they had this feeling. And they looked up at the fire escapes above and saw a black void between the first and second balcony exits. Said it was like looking into a black hole that you could see, you couldn't see through it. It was just pitch black. Ooh. Almost, they they said like like a black hole, almost like a portal even maybe, but just a, just a pitch black you know, void, if you will. Scary. So definitely the black void is, is fitting. Well, as we started talking about doing this podcast, I admitted to Bill, I uh, kind of fell down the rabbit hole, so to speak. Um, Limp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, you and I have talked about it before. You have some firsthand stories. Got a lot of so. firsthand stories, and there's just a ton of history of creepiness, darkness, weird things. Um uh, maybe you, maybe some people haven't heard of the Lip Mansion, um, but it is perched atop a hill there inside of uh, St. Louis. Uh, the mansion itself was built back in the 1890s. 
But what you might not know is its sinister desire for taking lives of the limp family in particular. And I know we've discussed that. A lot of uh, suicides from the family that took place there in the house. And, uh, of course, there's the fact that it hides a host of underground caverns and tunnels that run beneath it and uh, a lot of St. Louis, which was built, uh, of course, right there on the river. Um, It holds a lot of secrets. Obviously, it's probably one of the most famous or, shall we say, infamous haunted places, not only in Missouri, but it's making the top five and top ten across America. In 1838, a Johann Adam Lemp made his voyage from Germany, joining thousands of immigrants in the St. Louis area. He started building the Lemp fortune by first opening a grocery store. Uh, Vinegar was his number one staple there in the grocery (laughs) store. I thought that was a little odd. However, in this, he started getting some money and he started making his own brewery for lager beer. Naturally, uh, it found its niche amongst all the German immigrants uh, that had come to the St. Louis area, but uh, also it had a totally different flavor and a taste than any of the other beers here in America. So it, it sparked some interest here in America as well. Just so happened that when he purchased the property that uh, he had the grocery store and started opening the brewery that he discovered there were underground caves that was naturally underneath. Now, these were no big secret. Uh, These were a lot of this area was called the Cherokee Caves, obviously, from the Indians who had used them way back many, many years ago. Uh, They had taken forms of all kinds of things. Uh, The tunnels and caverns, to put it in perspective, we're not talking like that you crawl through, uh, not even that you walk through, but they had went through, poured cement, leveled the floors, put archways in. Uh, some of these are so large that they've held uh, carnivals in. I was gonna I was gonna ask, did they use those caverns in any way? I know, like they used to use caves to store, you know, cold goods and absolutely, stuff like that. Absolutely, absolutely. They I, what I started to say with with the beer and especially with the German lager, it is best to keep it in a cool area. So he kind of fell into this, and directly <laughs> underneath the the Lent Brewery, he. You know, reconditioned a lot of the rooms, opened them up, made them customized round rooms where barrels could be set up in and stacked properly. And that was his beer storage. Now, underneath that, uh, various different generations of of the limp men also uh, had a swimming pool that was installed, a bowling alley that was installed, and once again, a theater that we've touched upon (laughs) several times, all of which uh, are now pretty much sealed off to the public. They are open by special arrangements like around Halloween and stuff. But uh, a lot of ghosts and spirits seem to uh, haunt not only the house up above, but those tunnels uh, down below and beneath. So approximately 40 different breweries dotted the horizon lines there in St. Louis uh, when uh, the original founder, Johann Adam Lemp, uh, had passed on the business to his son, William J. Lemp. Uh, By 1870, the Lemp Brewery was the absolute largest in all of St. Louis, uh, which included Falstaff beer, which was uh, produced gaining national exposure. That was a part of Lemp beer. Uh, Later on, another company actually purchased the name Falstaff off the Lemp Brewery, and it's still in production even today. Uh, Now, Williams, the the son of the founder, uh, daughter is named Hilda, 
She later married into yet another popular St. Louis beer factory, which was Gustav Pabst of Pabst Beer. So they're definitely keeping it in the brew family, if, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Now, William Jr.'s wife, Lillian, is a very colorful person, uh, still considers to haunt the mansion today. She was considered by many the perfect trophy wife, and she was called the Lavender Lady. One of the rooms there in the Limp Mansion is the Lavender Lady Room. That's a good ghost name. Very well. I thought that flows off the tongue quite nicely. Um, Because she often dressed in in lavender colors, even to the point she was so obsessed uh, that she dyed the horse carriage harnesses in lavender color (laughs) so that when she would go out for her, her rides that everything would match. And obviously, here comes the Lavender Lady. The sad part about this, she was a very beautiful woman uh, that, by all accounts, but her husband, William Jr., was not a faithful husband. Um, He had some what was called wild parties uh, down below in the tunnels in the cave. And again, at that time, you have to consider the time frame. Men and women were very often segregated. Uh, The women were not allowed down into those areas where they had cigar smoking and and (laughs) brewery tastings and uh, Quite honestly, even proof of a brothel that uh, all took place down there. Yeah, I'm sure you wouldn't want your wife to know that. And walk in on that. <laughs> no, hun, seriously, it's not what it looks like. It's everything that it looks like. So next, one of the next colorful figures that we'll find besides the Lavender Lady is Zeke the Monkey Boy. And this was a term that was dubbed way beyond. Zeke the Monkey Boy. Zeke the Monkey that's, Boy. That's like something out of a Rob Zombie movie. <sighs> and again... Folks, let me just say it was a different time. (laughs) So I am going to relate to stories that I found in newspapers and stuff of that time. Um, Poor Zeke, uh, he was considered very deformed and also mentally challenged for his time frame. Um, And at the turn of the century, 1900s, Traditions in time, like I said, were much different. We weren't politically correct. We were so far from being politically correct. But for a very wealthy family to have a child born like this in stereotypical manner was considered a mark against the family, a curse almost, if you will. So poor Zeke was locked away in the attic and was very rarely ever allowed out. Very few people saw him. There's uh, a few small accounts by uh, maids and butlers who cared for the family, and some of them were assigned to Zeke that have come forward to even say that he existed. Because uh, while there is a unmarked grave that's supposed to be his in the family limp uh, cemetery, there's really no paperwork of his birth or his death, at least that I could find. So they did a pretty good job of, of covering this up. And again, they considered a black mark or a curse. Um, there have been many accounts through the years of a deformed young boy peering out of the attic window, uh, offering strange grunts and scratching with the fingernails and beating on the glass with his fists when he would see people and especially kids playing outside in front of the, the house. Now, some believe this boy was William's illegitimate offspring from a prostitute. I mentioned he wasn't quite the, uh, the loyal husband there. Um, Another reason why the boy might have been kept kind of a secret. That's definitely a reason to to keep it a secret. Uh, Another different belief is Zeke could have been William's brother born to his aging mother, uh, Julie, I believe was was her name, uh, which would have been in the 50s. 
uh, and she had severe childbirth issues, which caused the deformity. Um, there's been a, a little bit of physical proof, like I said, of Zeke's existence. However, many accounts, close families and friends and descendants, is about all we really got to go on. Like I said, they have covered it up quite well. Um, well we do believe that he died sometime around 1930s or 1940s by the age of 30, but most likely it could have been even a lot earlier than these, that. These this family history definitely seems to lend itself to potential haunting in the future. Oh, it's a, a dark, dark history. And uh, the house itself, like I mentioned, has claimed so many lives of the Limp family. Um, I've got a little blurb here called The House of Death and Despair, and that <laughs> kind of sums it up. The Limp Mansion has seen its own share of death and suicides. And as they say, if walls could talk, uh, the stories were nightmares that this one could tell. William's son, Frederick, named after his father's friend, Frederick Pabst, uh, he died of heart failure at the age of 28 years old in the house. Now, that's wow. pretty early for heart yeah. failure. The son's death in 1901 was greatly disturbing for the parents and especially took a toll on William Lemp himself. Just a few years later in 1904, Frederick Pabst, the father, close friend of William Lemp, also died adding more to the darkness of William Lemp Sr., who was struggling trying to keep the business going and holding it all together. Now, William Sr. seemed to lose interest in running the family business and became more and more of a recluse. He started using these tunnels to travel back and forth to work and did not want to be seen. He asked that uh, his servants and stuff would like leave food outside on a table. He did not even want to lay eyes on them or much less anyone lay eyes on him. His own health obviously seemed to kind of spiral and tragic during this time frame. Uh, by the age of 67, one month after the passing of that close personal friend, Frederick Pabst, William Lemp Sr. executed himself. Um, he had got up from uh, breakfast, excusing himself, saying that he didn't feel well. He went upstairs to his bedroom and shot himself with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson. The death of the St. Louis family icon, William Lemp Sr., hit hard for the city and many others, as the city at the same time had been working closely with him on the Louisiana Purchase Exposition, the 1904 World's Fair. William Lemp was sadly only one of many German immigrants and descendants who had found their niche with the beer brewery taking their own lives. One has to remember this was also the time of Prohibition, so they were trying to work together, and here he commits suicide right before the... Uh, World's Fair, working with St. Louis. Prohibition figures into a lot of hauntings, um, especially hotels and things like that. Um, when we talked about Morse Mill, oh yes, was part of that. Yep. And then I've got one that I'll talk about here later, where Prohibition was part of that story too. So well, and they were violent times. It it may be too soon, but as we're talking about the COVID twenty, they're saying that alcohol uh, sales have went through the roof. I mean, often in tragic times, that's something that a lot of people fall back on. Yeah, I was going to say, in in times of, of stress, alcohol is is one of those one of those commodities you can count on selling. Now there was also Elsa Limp Wright. She was the youngest daughter of William Limp Senior, uh, the richest heiress in all of St. Louis. Uh, her fortune increased when she married into more money, um, a Theodore Wright of the Moore Jones Brass and Metal Company. Uh, however, Elsa filed for a divorce in 1919, which was granted within an hour. There was something wow. going on here. <laughs> they had some strings to pull. Uh, later, however, the couple worked out their differences and got back together and remarried. <laughs> 
Now, Elsa suffered from indigestion, nausea, and severe depression, insomnia, and stomach pains. Now, this seems to be kind of a family trait. Uh, nausea, the uh, severe depression. I mean, could it be exposure to something maybe because of the family business? Uh, um, possibly. Some of the chemicals or stuff uh, with brewery, maybe with it sitting on top of the cave well, and, system. And, and the time frame, obviously, they may not have been able to uh, identify. identify it. Yeah. Not really taking place there inside the house, but after the married couple had got uh, back together, uh, on the morning of March 19th, 1920, she told her husband uh, that she was not feeling good, uh, and uh, she was got a good night's sleep, but still wasn't where she needed to be. Uh, he got out of bed, drew some bath water in the adjacent bathroom, and he called out to his wife after hearing a strange sound over the running water. Uh, after no reply, he investigated, and he found uh, her staring at him lying in bed. Besides her was a small revolver. Elsa attempted to speak to her husband, but died within minutes and supposedly never got any words mumbled. The death was not reported for several hours, which, uh, due to the known issues of the marriage, did kind of cast a little bit of uh, some shadows on the death being suicide or possible foul play. Now, there was a William Limp Jr. who uh, filed for divorce with his wife, Lillian, in 1908 uh, because she was a frivolous shopper and he felt was <laughs> blowing through his money. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to comment. Yeah, we, uh, no comment. we're not going to touch on that one. In a very public court, William accused Lillian of running out on him, smoking and drinking and partying and spending his money. I've already said this once. Scandalous. Scandalous. The divorce was quite vicious and notorious. Now, William lost custody to his only child, obviously going back to Lillian. Now, William was reported in court uh, by several people uh, that he was cruel to animals and children. Uh, some of the neighbors and stuff had found uh, pets that he had supposedly tortured even. Yeah. Uh, he did carry a gun and often flashed it around pointing at people who disagreed with him. That's uh, how you get your point across. Yeah, really, hello. Uh, he hosted underground parties in the caves below uh, with illegal and promiscuous activities, uh, quote unquote. And Lillian stated that William slept with a gun under his pillow, always pointing it at her head during the entire night so that if she ever got up and left, he would stop her in her tracks. This guy was, was a real piece of work. Yeah. Uh, this family, I, I, it's... They're, they're cursed, I, I swear. <laughs> I swear. So I have spent some time up at the Lent Mansion. I think I have spent three different nights up there on individual ghost hunts. Um, I can't say I saw any apparitions. I did witness after the building was locked up, which that's one of the cool things. Uh, they run a restaurant and a kind of a pub downstairs. But if you get a room for the night, once they lock that up, you have full game to the entire house to do ghost hunts or whatever you want. Uh, but we had just walked up the large flight of steps to our room and down in the bar, we heard this horrendous clatter. Um, and it was like steel pots and pans banging on each other. It's like anybody that's ever had a small child that crawled <laughs> into the kitchen, yeah. raided the, the lower dressers and, and shelves and starts beating the pots. So um, we ran back downstairs to see what the heck that was, and there was a commercial coffee pot that had been pulled out, stainless steel, had been pulled out and literally like flung across the room. Wow. That There was nobody in the room. There was nobody downstairs. We quickly, we even ran down the steps. We went to the basement. We're like, somebody's 
playing with us, screwing out. There wasn't a soul. Wow. Uh, so we had that. We've had lights flicker, or not flicker, but literally the switch turn off and on. Again, not just the light going on, the switch being motivated to go off and on. Um, a lot of creaky steps, like more so than just a normal creak, but like someone was walking down, passing you on the stairway. We've had some of that. A lot of edgy, uneasy feelings. Now, didn't you say you didn't see like a shadowy person at one uh, point? Downstairs in the basement, and I've mentioned this on several of the podcasts, we had a, uh, I call it a shadow person. Yeah. Four foot, maybe tall, uh, very wispy, uh, unable to see the feet. Uh, but yeah, we caught that actually on camera, and we saw it out of the corner of our eye, so we quickly just kind of threw the cameras up, and, and we caught that. Going behind a pool table, it made a quick corner and then up a flight of concrete steps that led out to the landing uh, upstairs. So it's always an interesting place. Out of the three times we have had something happen, each of the three times, one time in particular, it was very low key, but the other, uh, some of the other ones made up for it. Well, I think with a with a tragic history like that, I'm bound to have something. Yeah. Now, I am anxious. I thought about going back up to the Lent Mansion because they have now fixed up the attic area that I mentioned. Zeke the Monkey Boy uh, was was unfortunately kept almost captive. And they say that a lot of uh, weird noises and children's toys will be moved and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, I'd like to go back and try that and, and attempt yeah. it to see because that was an area that was kind of off limits to us beforehand. We're going to move on to Excelsior Springs where I, I heard some, some interesting stories about a hotel. So the history of Excelsior Springs dates back to the 1880s. Um, in the summer of the 1880, Indians and hunters told Travis Mellion that the natural springs of the area had healing powers. Very common around this area. Yeah. Now, Travis Mellion had a daughter who was very sick with tuberculosis, which, you know, in those days was essentially a death sentence. Yes. So he decided... Uh, you know what the heck? I'm going to take the chance. We're going to we're going to we're going to try to see if these these waters do have healing properties. Within weeks of bathing in the spring and drinking its water, she found herself uh, completely cured. Wow! Miracle so, drug. Another man named Frederick Kigler. He decided he was going to try to the springs for. Uh, I'm going to say quote unquote leg affliction. I'm not sure what that means. Hmm. And he too had the same results. And in no time, the legend of the area grew. People moved to the area. And within a year, there were 200 houses built in the, in the area. And the town of Excelsior Springs was founded. Now, they built the Elms Motel there in Excelsior Springs. The first hotel was built in 1888. It burned down 10 years later, May of 98. Luckily, no one was injured in the hotel, but, uh, in the hotel fire, but it was considered a complete loss. Rebuilding began in 1908, 10 years later, and it reopened in 1909. On October 29th, 1910, the hotel burned again. Goodness. And again, luckily, no one was hurt, but it seemed like this, this hotel just wasn't having a lot of luck. Now, determined to rebuild, the hotel reopened again September 7th, 1912, uh, and apparently has stood the test of time since then. It hasn't burned again. It hasn't burned again. Yeah. Uh, it did act as a speakeasy during the Prohibition years, which I touched on earlier. And Very track, common. Attracted the likes of Al Capone. And uh, Truman, President Truman, even stayed there during his 1948 election bid. 
He sort of retreated to the area when he thought he was going to lose the election and then woke up the next morning to find out that he had, in fact, been elected president. He got down there and drank some of that water. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, there's a lap pool in the basement that is said to be haunted by a man from the speakeasy days. Uh, the basement, of course, it was said to, to gangsters would hold these wild swinging parties down in the basement area, out away from prying eyes. And supposedly this guy was killed by the mob during those days. On the third floor, staff and guests have seen a maid dressed in a 1920s-style uniform. She is benevolent. Supposedly, she's there to, to watch over the housekeeping staff and ensure that they're doing their job to their absolute best. Ooh, keep them so in she check. Doesn't, she doesn't really do anything bad. There's also the spirit of a woman who's said to be walking through the hotel looking for her child. She appears to be distressed, and she's been known to pull hair and throw things at people. <laughs> And there are guests and staff of the hotel also report the, a feeling of, of an unearthly presence in several different areas of the hotel. Uh, and uh, there are lots of unexplained noises. And, of course, with an older building, who's to say? Right, right. Well, I mean, while we're talking about Missouri hauntings, um, I think another mention, at least a little shout-out, would be, uh, we've talked about this one several times, Zombie Road Oh yeah, in Wildwood up near yeah. St. Louis. Um, and that was also featured in a document. Actually, one of the few that I ever felt to be creepy. Like, I mean, like some of the stuff in that one. The, the I, I will say before we get too far into this, and and you may talk about it, but the 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 photo of the people on the hill the, in the trees. I call them the children. Yeah, the children in the yeah. trees. If you can find that picture online and, and read the story of that, and and like I said, you might touch on it a little bit. I don't know what you've got here, but. That that picture alone is worth watching the whole show for. It is. It and then is. there's a scene on a, on the bridge where there's like a shadowy mass. And I mean, they they film it. Like you can see it you in can the see video. It. It's some of the best footage that yeah. I've actually saw for around here. Um, it's a portion of what's called Rock Hollow Trail in Wildwood. And it is said to be watched by the shadow people. Now, we've talked about shadow people in some of our other podcasts and stuff. Uh, but it's a 2.3-mile section of old railroad tracks uh, and is one of the largest American Indian mound sites in the area, which uh, think might the whole country be was built kind of Indian connected, right? Uh, it was walked by settlers crossing the country and was used by the Union Army during the Civil War. Uh, ghostly apparitions that haunt Zombie Road watched from the trees, it seems like. As Bill had mentioned, there's a, a picture that, no amount of words is ever going to do yeah, it justice. You, you can't really describe it. But it's like yeah. several children, I would say 12 or 15. Oh, I think they're yeah. like holding between hands. Every, you, you see one between every tree. And they're just they're like. In the forest. They just appear like almost out of the trees, out of the out of the earth, yeah. and they're peering down at you. Oh, uh, it's, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's creepy. But uh, that area, I am told, uh, is now owned by uh, part of the city or something. It's a park. Uh, they do close it up at, at I dusk. I was going to say, you're not allowed to go there at night. It's, I know it's that. a big no-no. Uh, here about five, six years ago, it was kind of open, and, and you could go up and do ghost hunts or you know whatever you wanted to do. But they were having a lot of uh, damage and people getting up there and drinking parties and trashing things. And, Stupid people you know, got to ruin it for they everybody. They got to ruin it for everybody, but... Zombie Road definitely is is another hot spot here in Missouri that's that's really pretty cool. Well, when I was doing the research for Missouri's Haunted Waterways, which was, you know, way back in the early days, uh, I came upon this story from Creve Coeur, 
which I'm sure I'm going to say that wrong, but it's French. French. Um, but legend has it that there was a beautiful Native American uh, chief's daughter there, and she married a warrior. And like any good haunting, you know, the origins are tragic. He died in a hunting trip, um, or he died in battle, or he was murdered by a rival. There's there's different variations. <laughs> yeah, which, which story you want to go with? Um, but in her grief, she leapt from the high cliffs that overlook the Lake Creve Coeur and died in the water below. Now, digging around a little bit in this story, I found all kinds of all kinds of continuations of the story. The the most obvious, the most common uh, witnesses have heard her ghost crying, and they can see her apparition on nights when there's a full moon. Uh, all the way up until recent memory, people in the area have, have claimed to have seen her ghost jumping from the cliff, and and but she never hits the water. Like they see a person jump, and then there's no splash. She even she disappears kind of on the way down. On the way down. There's legends of a monstrous fish or a monstrous eel in the lake that is supposed to house the spirit of this distressed woman. Oh, wow. That, that you know, uh, terrorizes the locals. Creve Coeur is French for broken heart, strangely enough. How ironic. And uh, one of the local legends is, of course, when she killed herself by leaping to her death, it actually changed the shape of the lake into a broken heart shape. I didn't take the time to look at it on a map, so maybe it's heart-shaped. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, now, the, there are springs in the area that drip down the hills that surround the lake. And uh, in the area, they refer to them uh, as the the princess's tears. I've heard that part. So it, it's got a neat little little backstory to it. Like I said, when we were doing the, the Missouri Waterways, I found the story originally. I didn't feel it fit in with what we were doing that day. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'll, I'll kind of bookmark that, that one. that away for a little bit. There's also a B. Donovan's restaurant in the area. There's a female ghost that's that's supposed to walk the property at night. And one of the, the most common stories, of course, uh, employees hear a woman's voice at night after the, the restaurant's been closed from areas of the restaurant where there's no one at, you know, in the dining area or whatever. You mm-hmm. know, they'll hear a Where nobody's supposed to be. Yeah, they'll hear a woman's voice pretty often. And they'll often hear footsteps on the stairs and noises from the attic. Now, one of the, the things the owner talked about, he would find little holes in the ceiling. And I, he chalks it up to the ghost. That seemed a little too physical for me. But he said, and, and he, like he patches it up and then he'll find another one sometime later. So some something is putting little holes in the ceiling. Hmm. Now, whether that be ghost or, or something else. When you first started mentioning it, and because it was an old restaurant, I was thinking maybe old gunshots or something. Maybe. You know, old 22 shells or something. Well, well another mention, I think, uh, up in the Jefferson City area would have to be the Missouri State Penitentiary. That's, yeah. that's another hot spot. Uh, driving down I-44 and different highways, you'll even see uh, big billboards up where they're doing ghost tours and, and everything. Uh, it was built in 1836. It was known as the bloodiest 47 acres in America and once was the largest prison in the entire United States. It housed over 5,200 inmates at its peak. Uh, however, this 183-year-old facility is now far from its peak. Uh, it belongs to uh, apparitional sightings, unexplained sounds, horrifying stories. And where the, whether the spirits belong to uh, 
the victim of a 1954 prison riot, which I was told was one of the bloodiest in history, uh, killing a good amount of uh, the officers as well as the the prison folks themselves. Um, There was the gas chamber. We had all the executions that was there. Uh, It's right there in Jeff City, and uh, it's sure to make your hair stand on end. One of the the stories that I've heard that's pretty common um, in the solitary confinement cells, one of the pastimes that the the inmates would use would be to pull a button off their shirt and bounce the button off the floor and then try to find said button in the dark. Supposedly, when you go and take the tour, they'll take you down to those cells and they'll shut off the lights, and if you listen, you can still hear the buttons bouncing on the floor, which... You know, if you're familiar with the idea of solitary confinement and the fact that it's it takes a hugely emotional toll on a person. Yeah. Um, we are, after all, social creatures, and we're not supposed to be alone with ourselves for too long. Right, right. Apparently, you know, that, that energy kind of seeps in. We're going to wrap up here really quick, but before we, we finish, one thing I want to add, uh, not really so much haunting, but, and I think you and I have talked about this, St. Joseph, Missouri, by Kansas City, the Glore Psychiatric Museum. Yes. Now, I've gone there, and I will say, um, you know, you, you, you pay your money, you take your tour. It's, it's not, I don't think there's lots of claims for it to be haunted. I think there are there's some stories out there, but I will say genuinely creepy. Like, like I personally felt First that hand, if yeah. I was in a place that was haunted, this was going to be it. Some of the the items they have, and and some, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out is that there was a uh, schizophrenic patient who was writing little notes and putting them in the back of a television, and it's just just the, full of these little notes, these little, cr- and and they've got them out on display, and it's just really, um, you know, I understand these people were sick, but also understand that in the the early days of mental health, we did some really crude things to people. Yeah. There, the my my kids, you know, my oldest son, um, is for a while was a very emotional young man, and and things like that. Like there were things he saw that almost moved him to tears. There, um, well, definitely by definition of today, torture. Yeah, I mean torture. And, and again, I'm not saying I saw anything, but just the the feel of the place, and it is like it. There are lists, you know, like, oh, if you want to see the the top 10 creepy things, places to visit before you die, it, it, it pops it's up there. on a lot of those lists. So I'm not saying it's haunted. I'm not saying I saw anything, but I will say for, for a genuinely unsettling experience, that, that would be a place to visit. That sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm going to have to make that trip. Well, we definitely hope that you've enjoyed yet another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway, and we thank you very much for your uh, support. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. 
I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. Uh, um, he's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.